Hi there, uh, this is the 102nd edition of a Hotbox and we may come down on the side of sentimentality in it as it's going to be all about some of the greatest stars in the jazz firmament who are, I was going to say suddenly, perhaps not the right word, uh, they're no longer with us. I don't mean to suggest that there has been an abnormal death toll, but I, I have noticed in the uh, various jazz publications an increase in talk about the end of an era and the passing on of the baton to the younger generation and so on. I don't think there's anything extraordinary going on, but I guess when you have a few of the grass greats uh, passing on, some commentators see it as uh, the end of an era, especially when the departed are so important. We're going to poke around a bit amongst the music of the departed, enjoy a nostalgic take on some of them, certainly not all, since the decade's losses so far are quite extensive. Uh, but let's start with Wayne Shorter, almost a household name. Um, his influence is undeniable in a career that spanned almost 70 years. Over that time, uh, of course, he saw and was part of the significant developments in jazz music right through from the bebop, post-bop era of Art Blakey and the likes to the abstractions of later Miles Davis and beyond. So I guess in the passing of Wayne Shorter in March of this year, there certainly is an element of the end of an era. Anyway, let's go back a bit. 1968, Shorter on tenor, Herbie Hancock, Reggie Workman, Joe Chambers. Adam's apple. Thank you. 
A truly great lineup there. Wayne Shorter, the composer, of course, and the tenor player. Herbie Hancock was the pianist. Reggie Workman on bass and Joe Chambers on drums. A great quartet. Adam's Apple was the title of it um, from the album of the same name, released, I think, in 1967. It was written, uh, by, as I said, by Wayne Shorter, and the album also had the first recording of his probably most famous composition of all, Footprints, several months before it was recorded by the famous Miles Davis uh, quintet with uh, Shorter in it at that stage. Um, we'll listen to the Wayne Shorter version a little bit later on, but for now let's head for someone who thankfully hasn't departed but has retired due to ill health, and that's Keith Jarrett. And while we're at it, we can also reflect on his long-time accompanying bass player, Gary Peacock, who did die back in 2020. Uh, Jarrett's trio was heard live in Ireland on more than one occasion, and he himself indeed performed in Ireland as far back as 1969. Uh, There's so much music in Jarrett's legacy and that of his trio that I really found the selection almost impossible. Jarrett fans may well think I've failed, I've picked the wrong track. I hope not. Thank you. 
Yes, a typically rapturous reception there for the so-called Standards Trio, which was Keith Jarrett, Gary Peacock and Jack DeJohnette on the drums. The Old Country was the title of that piece, and uh, the performance was, I think, in Paris uh, in July 1985, released the following year. As I mentioned, Jarrett has been forced to stop performing due to ill health, which is, I think, very sad for his many fans. Well, another pianist now, this time, uh, sadly, he has passed away. In April of this year, in fact, at the age of 92, Ahmad Jamal. And I'm going right back to his early years when he was a young rising star for a couple of tracks. He, he never liked to describe his music as jazz. He preferred the term American classical music. And incidentally, Keith Jarrett was a big, big admirer of his. So let's go to the uh, the early trio in the period 1951 to 55 with the guitarist Ray Crawford and uh, Israel Crosby on the bass. These are quite short tracks, so we'll, uh, we'll put a couple of them back to back. Ahmad Jamal, born Frederick Jones in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1930. <laughs> Thank you. 
Don't Blame Me, followed by They Can't Take That Away From Me. Ahmad Jamal from his very early recording days. Well, now, I'm not sure if any other jazz program in the world will have celebrated the life and marked the death, indeed, at the age of 92, of Sue Mingus. She was the wife of the great bass player and composer Charles Mingus and is likely to be remembered chiefly for keeping his flame alive long, long after his death, which was back in 1979. She... founded a succession of bands dedicated to his music. The Mingus Dynasty was the first one, uh, a seven-piece unit, and then the Mingus Orchestra, and of course, the great Mingus Big Band. We're going to hear from the latter in just a moment. Sue um, had a reputation for not tolerating fools or indeed messing of any sort, and her legacy uh, now includes educational programs and a fine book actually about her life with Charles which is uh, titled Tonight at Noon. She wasn't a musician, uh, she was a producer and her success in keeping the Mingus flame burning for more than 20 years really uh, speaks for itself. So here's the big band. Yeah I was hanging out in Times Square reminiscing to the rhythm of the city. Walking up and down Broadway checking out all them fine babes. Dances on the way to class. Birdland, jazz corner of the world. Yeah, I played with Mingus at Birdland one night. I said, Charles, can I play one with you? He said, yeah, come on, man. As long as the union don't bust us. Well, no sooner said than done. Mingus counted off Charlie Parker's Coco fast as he could play it. And man, that was fast. Well, I got off two choruses without getting too bruised. And after the set was over, James Moody came over and gave me a big hug and said, man, you made it. Made me feel real warm. Gave me the courage to keep on keeping on, Jack. Yeah. Boy, I sure felt good that night.
Yeah, um, the voice was that of the baritone master Ronnie Cuba, and that was his solo too, of course. Nostalgia in Times Square was the composition. Randy Brecker, the trumpet solo, Kenny Drew Jr. on the piano, and the bass was played by Michael Formanek. Uh, that was recorded in, uh, well, for uh, a release in 1993, and it was, in fact, the first one by the Mingus Big Band, which was formed two years earlier. So we remember the lady who kept it alive, Sue Mingus. She wrote part of the liner notes to the album, and if you'll bear with me, I'll read at least part of that now. She says... It's like the city, said the trumpet player. It's about chaos and contradiction, discipline and crazy, unexpected beauty. It's music, said the drummer, that wears a tuxedo but's rolled around in the dirt. Shifting tempos, clashing harmonies, the unmistakable beat of the city. Listen to Ronnie Cuba musically strolling down 42nd Street, recalling an encounter with Mingus at Birdland back in the 50s as he introduces Nostalgia in Times Square with elegant beatnik cool. But make no mistake, Nostalgia is exactly what this 14-piece band is not about. What it's about is chemistry which is developed here and now among the growing pool of New York's finest musicians as they work out on some of the most challenging music in jazz. Almost 100 musicians have played on these charts since the big band first unpacked its instruments in September 91 in the basement nightclub of a Manhattan cafe. Some 20 of them are on this recording and the band's hardcore centre is the Mingus Dynasty Quintet, expanded to include several musicians from the orchestra, which has performed Mingus's two-hour work epitaph since 1989. Expanded further still to include a host of new musicians able to explore the textures and densities and wider spectrums of Mingus big band charts. I think we should hear some more from that band, shouldn't we? Thank you. 
as the man said, organised chaos. It doesn't get much better than that, really, does it? Some listeners may recall uh, the Mingus Big Band concert in Dublin many moons ago, in which uh, our own Michael Buckley was part of the, that version of the band. That recording of Monin featured Ronnie Cooper again on the baritone, Ryan Kaiser on the trumpet, and Art Barron gave us the trombone. Well, I promised you some more Wayne Shorter, so I'll make good on that promise right now. This is also from the early years, and it's his most famous composition. It's called Footprints. Thank you. 
Interesting how much more slowly that version of Footprints is than the one that we all know best that's performed by Miles Davis only a matter of months later. Shorter there with uh, Hancock, Workman and Chambers. Now, another memorial, this time for the drummer Jimmy Cobb. He was certainly quite obscure when I first heard him, which was on the early Wes Montgomery albums, but he went on to become something of a legend. He made it to the age of 91, and he died just uh, three years ago. He'd been, for some 30 years, he was the sole surviving member of uh, Miles Davis's first sextet, which was founded in 1958, and of course it was Cobb that you heard on Kind of Blue. From then on, he played with just about everybody who was anybody, quite a subtle and an understated drummer, which meant his enormous talent was maybe less venerated by the general listening public than perhaps it should have been. I mentioned uh, where I first heard him, so let's go right there. Wes Montgomery with Jimmy Cobb and a few other famous folk on it as well, live from Zubo, California, in June 1962. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Kariba uh, from Wes Montgomery. He also composed it. And you heard Johnny Griffin on the tenor. Winton Kelly was the pianist and Paul Chambers the bass player. And uh, you heard the splendid tick-tick drumming of Jimmy Cobb, a recording that came about because it just happened that Wes Montgomery was in San Francisco at the same time as the Miles Davis sextet. So this recording date was assembled for one night only. And aren't we lucky it was? Uh, anyway, we were remembering Jimmy Cobb particularly in this edition of the Hotbox, along with several other jazz greats who departed in the last few years. Well, I've had a very good time assembling this show, and I hope you've enjoyed it too. Another Hotbox will be along in about two weeks' time with uh, some new material in it. But for now, if you have been, thanks for listening. <laughs>